0: Hello, welcome to the New Stack Context, a podcast where we review the week's hottest news in cloud-native technologies and look ahead to topics we expect will gain more attention in coming weeks. Welcome to this special episode of the New Stack Context, and we're live from KubeCon and CloudNativeCon Europe. We're here today with Pratik Water, Vice President of Product Development at Intuit, to discuss their experience as a Kubernetes end user, as well as their involvement in the Argo Flux project, a single tool chain for continuous deployment and automated workflows using GitOps. Welcome to the show, Pratik.
1: Thank you very much, and uh, good evening and good morning to everyone.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by the New Stack team, including founder and publisher, Alex Williams, Joe Jackson, managing editor, Richard McManus, senior editor, and I'm Libby Clark, editorial and marketing director. Hey, everybody.
2: Hey. Hi.
0: So, Prateek, we wanted to, to talk to you today. I you know there's been a big uh, focus from the from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation on Kubernetes end users, Intuit as a big Kubernetes end user. Um, so we wanted to understand from you uh, how you're using Kubernetes and talk to you about your involvement in the open source community. Um, but I, I think first we just want to, to hear some of your personal experience. Um, what's the biggest challenge of working from home that's affecting the development of your infrastructure and Kubernetes development? Is it easier with the, under the pandemic, or harder to accomplish work, or is it unchanged for Intuit?
1: You know, it, it's it's been interesting. It's an interesting journey because uh, I think when we when we went into this mode, uh, I think there was a lot of unknowns. Uh, everyone sort of worked to the best of their abilities, and uh, you know we were keeping track of uh, our. Sort of overall, uh, you know, metrics to see, you know, how, how everyone was doing, both uh, personally, mentally, as well as, you know, from a from a business uh, perspective. And and to be honest, it's been surprisingly good. Uh, you know, we've we've seen, uh, you know, productivity stay uh, stay pretty much flat. Uh, in some cases, increase. Uh, but, you know, we've been keeping, you know, a, a close watch on uh, on our overall workforce, you know, and and we're noticing that it's coming at a, at a cost, right? We're finding folks are working a lot more. Uh, the hours are blurring a lot more, right? Uh, you know, and uh, so that's really an area that we're beginning to focus on now, right, as a company. So what
0: are some of the ways that your team's keeping track of, the projects and tasks. Um, And have you kind of discovered new approaches? I know it it is a challenging environment, as you say. Everybody's on 24-7.
1: It is, so, I mean, you know, uh, one thing is that Intuit is a a global company, right? So we have uh, sites, uh, you know, in the US, we're in uh, Mountain View, California, San Diego. We're in India, Israel, you know, the UK, France, so as a company, we've been used to sort of working uh, with remote members and, uh, and sort of keeping track of uh, our projects and uh, our priorities uh, in, in sort of a remote manner. So, so a lot of that, you know, core, uh, I would say, methodologies and uh, techniques were in place, right? Uh, some of the things that we have been working on more recently have to do with uh, being completely virtual. Right. So uh, where in the past, I think uh, if you looked at meetings, uh, you know, how are we measuring meetings or how are we actually conducting meetings? We're moving to a format where uh, we can, for example, do a lot of the legwork before a meeting happens. So in our case, for example, opening up a Google Doc and making sure that a Google Doc has captured the essence of uh, the meetings prior to the meeting actually taking place. So when we walk in, uh it's it's captured uh also it helps when uh you know team members cannot join a meeting then uh, you know they can actually look at a transcript of the meeting uh you know what we've noticed is that video recordings are good uh but it's very hard to sort of watch a video right uh, once you know you come in in the morning and you say there's about three meetings you have to catch up on then 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 the videos don't work right so what seems to work is having a doc where you can quickly scan through uh, and actually having a transcript of a meeting. Folks are finding that that's even faster because they can quickly scan through the transcript and uh, and sort of figure out what the meeting was about and maybe look at the key decisions that were made. Right. So there there are some things like this that we're doing, right, which are helping, right, in general.
3: That's really interesting uh, about the transcripts. Uh, We rely on them more than ever. Uh, We use a service called otter.ai, and it's just tremendously helpful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to turn the attention a little bit to your own infrastructure and your journey with Kubernetes. And one of the questions I love to ask is, how are you looking at the challenges that you face with what you want to see from the overall CNCF open source community. What are some of those projects that are important to Intuit and in its own infrastructure and architecture development?
1: Yeah, there's actually, uh, that's an interesting one and a good one. Uh, so I'll start with our journey, right? So we've been on this journey for about I would say about two and a half years now. Right, uh, we started on our Kubernetes journey about two and a half years ago, and uh, and now we have uh, a fully running, operating production environment. Right, we have about we have over two hundred clusters. We have about twenty five hundred services in production, uh, running on Kubernetes. Uh, these include some of our flagship, uh, you know, properties like TurboTax and uh, QuickBooks uh you know so so for from that perspective you know uh, we are sort of well into the journey we're well into sort of the operational aspects of it uh we've gone beyond the you know initial onboarding and learning the next phase that we're really starting to focus on uh, are are in two areas right two primary areas that uh that we are actively working on uh, with the community. Uh, One is around observability, right? So as we have now moved a lot of services into production, uh, the ability to sort of monitor, trace, debug, uh, these services at scale is becoming even more critical now. And that's kind of where, you know, I think uh, you may have seen, uh, we've had a number of talks recently, uh, including at KubeCon on uh, the ability to actually you know, work with, for example, open telemetry, uh, the tracing methodology, some of the monitoring tools that we're, you know, working on, right? And that's where the community focus is most important to us and where we are sort of starting to engage uh, on that front. The other area that that has become even more critical for now is on the networking side. So uh, traditionally, we used to have, uh, you know, a homegrown uh, API gateway uh, service, which uh, which is being utilized by all the services at Android, right? So all of north-south communication uh, and actually all of our east-west communications also go through the north-west, north-south channel, right? Oh. And um, and so that has, of course, been a challenge. And with Kubernetes, um, one area we've now focused on is the service mesh uh, area, right? So. We are actively working with the Istio community now. Uh, We're working with the Service Mesh uh, user groups and SIGs within the CNCF community to sort of help uh, understand this better, but also to start uh, rolling this out in production. So we'll have essentially a two-tiered approach where uh, essential services that need to communicate with users, external users, will use our traditional API gateway uh, whereas our, uh, you know, internal communications or east-west communications would go over a service mesh. You know?
3: hmm.
1: So these are essentially two areas where the next challenge or focus for us is going to be.
2: Excellent. Excellent. In addition to these, are there any challenges that you see with Kubernetes itself, or any areas of where you feel Kubernetes could be uh, further refined? You
1: know. We don't, to be honest, right? Uh, we feel like the community has done an amazing job uh, of, uh, you know, resiliency, uh, availability, and you know, feature sets that you would find, you would require in an enterprise environment, right? So, uh, Intuit, of course, is a financial company uh, at its core, so uh, security, reliability were sort of the cornerstones, right? And uh, we are, for example, working very closely with the. Uh, open policy agent or, uh, you know, the OPA team early on because uh, security and policy rules and engines were very critical for us as we were rolling this out uh, in the enterprise. And I think we've done uh, an amazing job as a community, the community has done an amazing job of making sure that these core tenets are in place. Uh, Can you do more? Of course, right? I would love to see more Uh, you know, uh, for example, policy rules or engines uh, inherently just directly built into the Kubernetes engine, right, which we're working on right now, right? Uh, It'd be nice to sort of walk into an environment and have all of these policies that you can now just, uh, you know, confirm to your particular environment, right? Uh, So there are things like that. Uh, RBAC is another one where, you know, continuously we see improvements coming in. Uh, And as we start rolling out, you know, lots of microservices, uh, you know, that becomes even more critical as you start introducing third party dependencies, you know, introducing more granular access control mechanisms become more important. So I think those are areas that, you know, uh, will see continuous improvement, but on the whole, you know, uh, it's been working very well for us.
4: So uh, Intuit has uh, just upgraded its uh, CNCF membership to a gold level. Uh, I'm just wondering how you've uh, f- found the um, experience of uh, being in the CNCF uh, circle so far and, and what, what are you looking to get out of it longer term?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've been a, a, we've been a member of the CNCF for over three years. Uh, we've usually participated at the Silver level as, uh, as end-user members. And, uh, and really the decision to move to a Gold member status uh, was because we have a, a higher degree of involvement right now with the community. We're actually participating in a lot more uh, areas uh, and, uh, and we felt that it was sort of the right thing uh, for us and for the community, for the end-user community. To uh, to actually have a voice, uh, right? We really wanted an end user voice uh, in the overall uh, community and the uh, you know and the participation level, and uh, and making sure that uh, you know we can also bring that voice uh, for for the community.
0: You're also very involved in the Argo project. I believe it, it originated at Intuit, correct? That's
1: correct. Uh, you know, the Argo project actually uh, originated, uh, I was the founder and CEO of a startup called Applatics, which was acquired by Intuit. Uh, and the Argo project was, you know, uh, initiated at Applatics, uh, but actually grew uh, in scope and in the number of projects uh, at Intuit over the last two years primarily because we saw a need as we were growing our kubernetes uh, you know infrastructure uh, we saw you know areas where you know that were lacking in the community and areas that we could uh, you know innovate on uh, and uh, our goal of course has always been that uh, you know uh, we're not a vendor right uh, we want to make sure that the community uh, you know gets to benefit from everything we do because we actually do use a lot of what's produced by the community you know, and the open source world. So, so it was just a natural way for us to contribute uh, you know, Argo to the community and to the CNCF this year.
4: So how does Argo compare to Flux, which is another GitOps project uh, out of Weaveworks and are the projects working together?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, you know, we actually announced uh, a relationship last year. I think it was at either at KubeCon or reInvent, I forget, between uh, AWS, uh, the WeaveWorks team and, uh, and Intuit. You know, uh, the Flux project is a sister project uh, within the CNCF, a mix of projects uh, of Argo, right? And uh, we've both been focused on, uh, on sort of the GitOps mechanism and the GitOps methodology. So uh, it was natural for us as we were looking at sort of uh, expanding the scope and sort of educating everyone around uh, GitOps methodology and making that sort of a standard uh, that we would work with, you know, uh, teams that were already working on this, right? So so that was, you know, we started working with the Flux uh, team on uh, essentially the GitOps engine, which is a core part of uh, of the Argo project. Uh, and uh, about last year, we the bulk of the effort has actually been in uh, taking this engine, the raw GitOps methodology or GitOps engine out of the core Argo CD project so that it can be used by anyone, right? The idea being mm. that we should sort of democratize the, the whole GitOps methodology and, uh, and let it be used by anyone, right? Uh, you don't have to actually use Argo to use that, uh, but it'll give you the same methodology in the tools. And uh, in a similar manner, this is what we're doing with GitLab, for example, uh, you know, uh, more recently GitLab is using the the GitOps engine also uh, to sort of uh, tie it into their core, you know, products.
3: So I want to ask you about the Argo uh, CD operator, you know, and 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 how you're working now with OpenShift on it. And I'm curious how much you had to leverage how much you did leverage OpenShift's experience in building operators to build your own, because they they do have a lot of experience in this regard. They really kind of developed the whole approach.
1: It is right. So uh and it's interesting first. Uh I, I should I should I should state this that the Argo CD operator uh is a contribution from Red Hat, right? So uh, it's not something that we developed, right? Uh, Actually contributed by Red Hat uh, to the Argo project. Uh, And uh, primarily we've been working with, uh, you know, the OpenShift uh, team uh, a lot over the past year uh, because there's a lot of uh, OpenShift customers that have started using Argo CD. And uh, and we wanted to provide a seamless uh, experience uh, for OpenShift customers to sort of fully leverage Argo CD, right? So uh so the Argo CD operator was actually developed by Red Hat to contribute it back to the community. Uh, and it includes some additional features that are uh, that are unique, right? Like things like backup and restore, you know, the visualization of the metrics that you see uh, you know, uh, using like industry tools, right? We're using Prometheus and Grafana, but these are now incorporated in the in the operator itself, right?
2: Terrific, terrific. Uh, so there you, uh, the Intuit folks had a number of interesting talks at uh, at KubeCon this year, and one is about a data plan- processing platform called Spock. I've heard of this before. Do you know anything about this project? Uh,
1: yes. Uh, so first of all, the nomenclature is important, right? Spock actually, uh, you know, refers to Spark on Kubernetes. Uh, uh, as, you know, has uh, a, as a, as a good name, uh, but, uh, you know, Again, this is also another addition to uh, sort of our philosophy of uh, making uh, whatever tools we're doing available to the community, but also simplifying uh, usage, right? So, so we extensively internally, we use, uh, you know, uh, EMR, uh, you know, and yarn uh, from AWS, for example. But what we wanted to do was we wanted to utilize our Kubernetes infrastructure, right? Uh, the same infrastructure that we are running everything else on uh, we wanted to use that, uh, and uh, just naturally, there's you know we prefer to use containers versus you know uh, shell scripts, uh, and we wanted to use the Kubernetes scheduler versus Yarn, right, to make it easy. So, uh, so this is you know was a natural uh, transition for us as we looked at this. We said, okay, you, you know if we can run Spark on Kubernetes, we get the same benefits uh, that we're getting. And uh, and we can use this as a contra- as a construct for all of our data processing jobs, right? And leverage what we've built already. So uh, so that was sort of the sort of the, the reasoning behind Spark.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, there was another talk at KubeCon about multi-region tracing. Uh, you guys got thousands of apps, so this must be a, a huge challenge. Uh, maybe could you talk a bit about the, the challenges that Intuit has with uh, uh, tracing and, and debugging faulty apps?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, right, we, we've we grown, right? So we, we have over 200 clusters, we have over 2,500 services, and... Uh, you know, one of the things that we started seeing was, uh, even though we built a lot of the core infrastructure when it came to logging and monitoring uh, into the core platform, right? I use utilizing, you know, uh, Prometheus and uh, we use Splunk, for example, for logging. We use Wavefront for monitoring. Um, tracing was relatively new. Uh, trace also uh, uh, sort of hmm. gives, lends a lot of leverage, right? It, it, uh, it it generates a lot of data, but it's data that is very, very crucial and directly applicable when you're debugging or looking at services, right? So, so this was, you know, something that we started working on. We, we've been working with the Open Telemetry team and starting to look at Open Tracing early, uh, and starting to incorporate that into a platform that we have, so that it becomes uh, easier for uh, service owners. Uh, so, into it, uh, the general phenomenon is that. Uh, you know, we have a centralized team which operates the Kubernetes infrastructure. However, uh, each of the service teams are responsible for their own DevOps, uh, you know, uh, methodology and their tooling, right? So they can deploy at will, uh, they monitor their services and they make sure that they can troubleshoot and debug their individual services. So the idea is really, how can we uh, give them a common platform uh, for tracing and observability? uh and and make sure that everyone's following the same processes and this is something that we've done internally so this is uh you know we're beginning to roll out you know this service now um internally we've uh we've essentially built a operational data lake uh where we essentially collect a lot of this information uh you know we can't don't essentially store all trace data but like summary trace data for example Uh, And it ties in with all of the other data that's coming in. So whether it's data from Splunk or Wavefront uh, or from Jira or from GitHub, right? So you can actually correlate all of this data. And we're in the midst of uh, troubleshooting or debugging. uh, You have one place to essentially look at the data and you can correlate events, uh, you know, coming across from uh, various various realms.
0: So I know you have a lot of talks happening at, at, at KubeCon. I know Argo itself as a project has been um, mentioned a few times. It was in the it was in the opening keynote on Tuesday. Um, so it seems like Intuit has a large presence there. I'm curious about your um your impressions of the event and what you what you're taking away from it so far. And I would love to then open it up to the rest of the team. We can have a little round round table discussion because I'd like to hear hear that from everybody else as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, KubeCon is, uh, is uh, sort of a central event for us, right? Uh, you know, that's sort of the, the one event, uh, you know, whether it's EU, uh, whether it's China, whether it's uh, India more recently, uh, and of course, North America, right? Uh, we've had a presence uh, in, all, in all of these areas because that's the one place that uh, we find uh, we get to connect with the community. We also get to learn uh it's also one event where uh, we make sure that we try and send a lot of our developers to because that's also an area for them to learn uh about what's happening in the industry and then sort of bring it back uh and also contribute of course right uh so uh the event uh you know it's interesting right of course this is the first uh, virtual event that we're seeing and uh you know uh for the most part uh It's been fun. Uh, I actually logged in last night, uh, late last night uh, to see what was going on and, you know, started seeing some snippets this morning as well. Uh, And I think it's been quite successful. Right. Uh, So I'm actually looking forward to the North American one because that will be more closer to my time zone and I can probably participate in it a lot better. Uh, Right now, I think my teams have been participating and I've been hearing snippets in the morning or, uh, you know, through Slack.
2: Hallelujah to that. Yeah.
0: Any surprises for you? Like anything that you found uh interesting or especially moving?
1: Well, I think uh you can say that our our announcement with Red Hat uh as well as, you know, our participation level has been interesting, right? I've been getting a lot of uh a lot of feedback uh and uh you know, and reach outs from uh, a lot of the community on that. I think this uh the community as a whole has been uh very supportive of the Argo project. Uh, so for me, this was uh, actually a welcome surprise. I mean, uh, we expected that there'd be you know a lot of uh, you know, reach outs and uh, some good traction uh, with the announcement. Uh, I was uh, surprised at the level that we've been getting.
0: That's great. So I, I want to uh, open up to the rest of the team um, to get some impressions, because I know we've all been attending this week and um, we, we like to to just kind of share what our experience has been as well. So maybe Alex, you could start us off. What what have been what's your highlight of KubeCon so far?
3: Well, I think it's definitely on the end user focus. And I it really seems to be what they're really wanting to put their attention toward. And you saw it in Priyanka's keynote and what Cheryl was talking about. And you know, and it speaks to, I think, some of the challenges that people are having, I think, in particular in areas such as uh, cluster management and how you manage you know, cluster uh, swarm, so to speak. Would it be swarm or or cluster sprawl? Not swarm, but sprawl. Um, and then on and then with that I think then I thought the conversation with IBM that IBM had today, Holly, who spoke uh about uh the pollution that comes from data centers and how important it is to be thinking about um usage uh when you're uh using Kubernetes clusters because the clusters uh, are the uh Unit of measurement, and uh, they're much more difficult to manage. So that those are some of the points that I saw. She had a uh, amazing statistic. Do you remember that one, Libby?
0: Um, uh, about the percentage is like a quarter of of all clusters are just uh, zombie clusters. Yeah, yeah,
2: but, uh, yeah, chewing up cycles, doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, that that was a that was a big takeaway of mine as well when she said turn off your cluster when you're not using it. <laughs> Just shut it down. <laughs> for God's sake, for the help for the
1: sake of the planet.
3: <laughs> Seems like there's a business opportunity there.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, stat because we keep track of that a lot. And uh, we've noticed that uh, you know auto-scaling helps. So uh, you know, if you have not implemented a good auto-scaling policy, please do. Uh, so that uh, when clusters are not being used, at least you're scaling them down. Right?
3: Hmm.
0: Seems like there's a community call to action there too, because she was talking about um, just how clusters themselves, how the clusters themselves are not as um, as uh, responsive um, as applications. You can't as easily scale them and and as quickly scale them. Um, so that may be something that the, the uh, community can address as well.
1: It, it is. Actually, that is one of the things that, uh, that we focused on very early because uh, if you can imagine our use case, uh, especially during the tax season, uh, we have uh, you know, tens of millions of users logging in. Uh, and it's yeah. usually during a span of time. Uh, you know, for example, in the North American region, it's probably like between 3 p.m. and like 7 p.m. You see a lot of activity. So we actually worked on our autoscaler uh, policies and tools to sort of uh, uh, scale up fast, uh, but also scale down fast. Right. So uh, and uh, that's probably something we've been looking at to see if we can just maybe uh, contribute back to the community because uh it was a huge saver for us, right, to be able to do this.
0: Did you see that that effect with the the overhead of the control plane as well? Yes, that was something she talked about.
1: Exactly, uh, the control plane. I mean, that, so this is an interesting one where uh, you know it's very easy for you to manage, you know, using your auto scaling policies to manage your worker nodes, right? Uh, typically, though, when you're in a cluster, when you set up a cluster. Uh, you're, you're sizing your control plane for the size of the overall cluster that you expect to see, right? The, the number of worker nodes. So there is a almost like a fixed cost attached to the control plane. And, and I think that is something that we probably want to solve as a community is, uh, you know, how can I scale that better uh, and, and probably reduce, you know, the scale when I don't need to.
0: I love the lens of that technical problem through climate change yes I think that, that was something that I that I had never seen at a tech conference before actually it was a, a keynote on the effects of climate change and then then having some real uh, actual um, I guess points to address um, and 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 um, I guess a to-do list for the community now <laughs> and how to address it so it's great Joe. Um, well, I want to hear what your top takeaway was.
2: Well, mine kind of came out of uh, left field, and I think what surprised me most this year was uh, uh, the the increasing focus on edge computing. Now, edge computing was called Internet of Things before that, and it's basically it used to be known as embedded computing, and it's always been like next year's big thing. Uh, but this year, it, it really came into focus uh, thanks largely to Rancher's K3S. Now, this is a stripped down version of kubernetes that can be easily deployed but is meant to run primarily on uh, on uh, on in production settings and uh, rancher uh, you know they've been having success with k3s over the past year in terms of downloads and deploys and it kind of came into focus now that uh, suse uh, is, uh, uh, is in the in the process of acquiring rancher but uh, there's, so there's a definite energy around K3S, and you really saw it this year. And uh, what surprised me is, uh, well, uh, Rancher's Shannon Williams, one of the, I believe he's one of the co-founders, uh, mentioned that he was just so overwhelmed with the number of use cases that started pouring in, actually first at last year's KubeCon. And what was surprising is more people were coming to him to talk about Edge and K3S than the data center or the traditional hybrid cloud implementations, uh, which uh, I never really thought about it before, but, uh, but yeah, it's um, and this, it, this kind of shifts the uh, landscape quite a bit, actually. Uh, when you think about Kubernetes, you think about scalability and, and large scale uh, 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 services running, but uh, you know, at the edge. It's a different set of challenges and what people are starting to find about Kubernetes, either through K3S or through uh, other distributions, is that it answers a lot of other good needs. Uh, For instance, security, automation, you know, IoT is this field of, of verticals where there are platforms for different industries and you have to find people to to, to maintain it and that's a problem and so something like kubernetes which brings the portable workload capability is like a godsend for for a lot of industries uh, i think the danger here also is as there's a shift of gravity uh will will there be a bifurcation of uh of kubernetes into two camps the data center or the edge i mean they're different needs or you know like linux will they be able to uh, will Kubernetes be able to to serve all the different users across the different uh, uh, use cases?
3: One of the things that's noteworthy in that is some of the prior use cases that we actually saw for Kubernetes a few years ago were actually edge cases. And so I believe it was actually Rancher who uh, was talking about uh, yeah, uh, Kubernetes basically being deployed to individual restaurants. I think part of the Chick Fil A chain, and we've also heard about Kubernetes. Actually, we've actually one of the things that you actually have heard is like this actually precedes Kubernetes with Mesos and how Mesos be, was actually used um, on cruise ship networks. So they would actually have a um, a, uh, a server on e- on 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 each of their cruise ships, and so. I, w- I wonder if this is just a mini, you know, this is just mini data centers, really, you know, that we're starting to see emerge.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I, I recall uh, when we first started uh, playing with containers, uh, not even Kubernetes, right? Uh, we started with Mesos, uh, with Docker. Uh, actually, the first exercise we did was take... Uh, you know, Mesos and start putting it on a, on a Raspberry Pi, right? And just to see, hey, could we use mm-hmm. that as a development platform, right? And, uh, yeah. and so it's very interesting with K3S now to kind of see that and to see, okay, this is a much, uh, a stripped down version of Kubernetes uh, uh, that could be used as a standalone environment, right?
0: So Richard, what was your top takeaway?
4: Well, um, yeah, since uh, I'm kind of on the opposite side of the world to Europe, so my uh, experience so far has been watching stuff on demand and there's a series of uh, uh, serverless uh, presentations that happened overnight my time that I plan on watching hopefully today or uh, the next couple of days. In particular, a topic of interest is uh, stateful uh, serverless. Uh, That's a trending topic at KubeCon this year and uh, there are about three presentations um, on that, particular topic that I'm planning on checking out and perhaps writing up as part of my current uh, column series about serverless. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I'll I'll be checking into that today, I think. Yeah, so
1: actually, I, you know, uh, for me personally and for Intuit right now, uh, that's one area where we've been following uh, quite closely, uh, you know, and uh, primarily because uh, we actually do use a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Lambda uh, serverless calls and functions yeah. within within Intuit. Uh, and we've been seeing uh, a growth, right? And uh, so actually one of the initiatives that we have this year is really to start thinking hard about uh, how do we bring that into the fold of our overall environment, uh, making sure that it is just as secure and scalable and uh, you know, trackable uh, you know, from a monitoring uh, perspective uh, as the rest of the you know, environment that we have today. So, uh, so this is actually one of the initiatives that we have this year uh, is to really start looking uh, deeply into what the community has done uh, and and what the commercial offerings are, uh, and seeing if there's a there's some way to sort of uh, tie the two together, or you know, pick pick something, right? Pick something that we'll standardize on.
0: You see that potential there, though, of of it really kind of uh, becoming core to your
1: Kubernetes platform. We do. We do because we do see there. There are several use cases where which warrant having, uh, you know, that scale uh, sort of the function level scaling, uh, you know, and uh, and the ease of use that a lot of our users are finding. Right. So uh, it does take time, right, to to set up a Kubernetes, you know, cluster or namespace and get everything organized. Uh, versus if there was a quick thing that you wanted to do, then writing a function makes a lot of sense in a lot of times. What you want to be careful of is you, don't, you you sort of can very quickly divert to the point where everything becomes a function. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. really not where you want to go, right? So uh, this was a, a very hotly debated uh, topic internally at Intuit uh, last year when we were looking at this. And we made a choice at the time that uh, we wanted to focus on our core Kubernetes infrastructure first. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then come back to this uh, and we come back to this with very specific use cases that we have identified uh, to, you know, leverage uh, this new technology for.
0: Well, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today, Pratik. It was really great to have you here and get your take on on all of our on all of our takes as well. Um, so uh, I hope you have a great rest of your KubeCon. And um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch up again soon and hear more about how uh, Intuit's progressing on, on its projects and uh, involvement in the community.
1: Absolutely, and thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.